Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where, like Taylor, saving time is stupid and we're all really tired. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I'm Lauren Humphreys Brooks. With me, as always, is Karen. Hello, Karen. Hello. How are you? Other, other than not feeling 100%, how are you otherwise? <laughs> uh, I'm okay. I'm Good. not bad. Yeah. How are you? Not bad. Tired. I think that like everyone has been kind of fucked up by by the uh, the changes in the time. Um, <laughs> I know that my dog is definitely like we don't get up at this time. We don't. <laughs> I know we don't. Like we go and we go to bed at this time. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because I remember one of my old roommates had said like, oh yeah, the time change always messes with my dogs. I'm like, they don't understand time. How would that be? And I soon realized that no, it it messes with the animals too because they are very confused why our schedules change but don't change. And yeah. Um, I'd also like to thank you for correctly identifying it as daylight saving time and not savings. Because we're saving daylight. We're not saving this daylight. We're not putting it in a bank account. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I saw that the other day and I was just like, oh, that's true. I got to remember to, to <laughs> I got to remember to do that because that's like, it isn't savings. Why do we say savings? <laughs> I think there's just something about there's a euphony to it or something. I don't know. I don't um, know daylight yet. savings time. Uh, yes, but so we are here and we're talking about things to do with movies and, and awards for movies. Um, and to start out with Karen, you had a, a quick correction from one of our um, patrons actually from last week. So do you want to just let us know what, what Connor had to say? I would love to, and I would like to thank Connor for pointing this out. Um, I actually do like being corrected when I'm when I'm definitely wrong. I don't like being corrected when I'm not wrong. But when I am wrong, I like to be reminded of how I missed it. And so last week we were talking about uh, one of my trivia questions was um, was to do with the number of nominations a non-best picture winner had gotten, like who, which female director had the most. And I don't know if you remember, but I was like, it's eight. Oh, wait, no, but this winner is seven, or this non-winner is seven. I was getting myself all turned around because uh, I said The Prince of Tides, which did have seven, um, and it was nominated for picture, but not for director. The more accurate answer for a film that was nominated for Best Picture, did not win Best Picture, and had the most nominations was Jane Campion's The Piano, which did have uh, eight. Yeah. And I think I got myself mixed around because I think I was trying to ask two different questions. And I think that's where I, like, I think it, because The Prince of Tides did not win picture, obviously, but also was not nominated for director. And The Piano was nominated for both. So there you go. So that's my correction. Thank you. There again, you go. Connor. There you go. Thank, thank you, Connor. Yes, please do. If we if we state something that is factually incorrect, uh, <laughs> we are perfectly fine with people correcting us on that. Don't say like actually, you know. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> actually, the Joker is the best film of the year. Like we don't that we don't care about correct. that. Um, <laughs> So thank you very much, Connor, for for letting us know about that. Um, to to move on with this, we were talking last week about films directed by female directors, and and also how women tend to fare better in um, kind of what would be considered the the less kind of auspicious categories, I guess the less uh, um, the less well known categories. So shorter films, animation. Um, 
documentary, things like that. But so before we go on to talk about actresses and supporting actresses, I wanted to, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, where women get awarded for other things, right? So things below the line, writers, editors, uh, sound, special effects, makeup and costuming, things like that. Um, so Karen, you went through and did a whole bunch of things because you're really well organized. <laughs> um, and I just wanted, so why don't you start us off since you know, you definitely know this better than I do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Why don't you start us off? So like, where do women tend to get more awards or get more recognition, more nominations, things like that? Okay, so I unfortunately was not able to finish all of the data that I was trying to pull. So I didn't get into costumes and makeup where I would say women definitely fare the best, um, both in terms of nominations and wins. So like the win to the nomination to win ratio is higher in those categories too. Um, so I didn't get into those sound and visual effects are just, I also didn't pull those, but they're also really, um, pretty bleak. Uh, the total number, in fact, I could probably look it up for visual effects really quickly because that category wasn't even in, uh, as as we know it now, that category wasn't actually fully introduced until I think 1980. Um, and it goes to the entire team. And so, I mean, before it was, it was officially a category, well, before visual effects was a category, it was special effects. And believe there might have been one woman that was like part of a team that was nominated. I think it was for Mary Poppins. Um, and then the visual effects category officially, 1977, it was with Star Wars. And so then you have like no women getting nominated. It's, um, it's, it's really bleak. And it's one of those things where it's so frustrating because I last week I had mentioned that no female director had been had directed a visual effects winner um other than the Wachowskis and that's you know um a really really sad statistic so 1986 with aliens Suzanne Benson is part of the team for aliens that that won visual effects so it takes from 77 to to 86 before you get the first, um, the first female, not only nominee, but winner. And then after that, I mean, it's such a male dominated category. It's starting to change. We're starting to see more women, um, get into that category too. But even then it's still pretty rare for, not for women to work in the visual effects, but for women to be head of department in visual effects so well that, that's the thing i mean some of what we're talking about and we we mentioned the, <clears throat> we mentioned this a little bit last week is it isn't just it there's there's also already like a, a cultural bias generally yeah. a social bias right so there are certain areas that women go into more often because it was the only areas that were available to them or it's viewed as being more female right feminine mm -hmm. so makeup makeup artists right you get a lot more women just over overall who are makeup artists yeah and so of course you're going to get more women nominated for oscars for that um so there is definitely an, an imbalance that is very slowly but surely being corrected and particularly when you're talking about the history of the oscars over the course of whatever we're up to 94 years um and you're talking about a very male dominated industry mm-hmm especially in the, in like the first several decades. Yeah. So it makes sense that some of the trends that we see are not, I, I, you mentioned this the other day about something else, but it's not necessarily the Oscars fault. Um, there's also a cultural aspect to what's going on and a industrial aspect to it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you were, you do kind of go like, well, why aren't women getting into these categories? You know, why is this not more prevalent basically? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think a big part of, of why, um, one of the things that we see is that, you know, directors will tend to work with the same people over and over. There are some exceptions, or sometimes it takes a director a while to kind of find their key people. Um, like it took, you know, Martin Scorsese had made several films before Thelma, screenmaker ever, came into his, his group. And then once she did, she very rarely did not edit has not edited a film for him um you know for example 
uh, it was interesting because Steven Spielberg, his first several films, I did not realize this, but his first several films were edited by different people. And a couple of them were women who did get Oscar nominations for his, for, you know, working with him. Um, and so it's a big part of the problem is that directors will kind of settle on their core team and those become the go-to people every film and when the directors that are getting the projects are primarily men and their friends that they bring along with them are primarily men it makes it difficult for women to break into these types of of positions on a film set where they become the heads of departments that are not yeah excuse me not costume and makeup yeah so well, uh, I just you you mentioned Schoonmaker, and one of the one of the issues that she ran into in the early part of her career was that she couldn't become a member of the Motion Picture Editors Guild mm-hmm. because you know even though at that point she was an Oscar nominee, so she had difficulty getting work on feature films because of the entry requirements that basically said she had to spend time as an apprentice and time as an assistant. She's just like, I've been nominated for an Oscar. Like I'm an editor. I'm a full editor. I've been working as a full editor and she still couldn't get the, um, she still couldn't get entries. So there were, there were a lot of issues that she was having to deal with that, that weren't just about being female, but they were about being female. There was a particular pathway that she was supposed to go through that she basically hadn't. Right. Yeah, which, uh, you know, similar to that, we have this issue with cinematography, which, as we know, this year at the 94th Academy Awards, we have our second female cinematography nominee. And um, we've never had a winner. The only other nominee was Rachel Morrison for Mudbound a couple years ago. And she should have two nominations because her work for Black Panther was just phenomenal. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this year we have Ari Wagner, who may become the first woman to win, although, I don't know, Greg Frazier's gotten to make all the public speeches, um, for Dune, so we'll see there, but, um, but similar to- (laughs) Also, I have something to say about Dune. Okay. (laughs) Dune is an ugly fucking movie. I don't care what you say. Dune is just ugly. That is not a pretty film in any way. That no one should be winning for cinematography on that film. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anyways, go on. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I was going to say was to your point about Thelma. <laughs> she's one that I feel like at this point we can just call her by her first name. Um, but similarly, we had um, with cinematography. It wasn't until 1980 before the first woman was allowed into ASC, the American Society of Cinematography. 1980, it was Brianne Murphy. And she was the first woman to serve as DP for a major studio film. So, yeah. So it's like, it took until the 80s mm-hmm. to make that happen. So it's really not, it's it's way too long, but it's really not surprising necessarily that it took until 2017 for a woman to finally get nominated for an Oscar for that, you know, that job. Um, especially when you listen to, uh, some of the stories that people talk about with men, like, you know, giving women a hard time, like, Oh, are you sure you can handle that big camera? You know, Mm -hmm. and like refusing to help them and stuff like that, assuming that they can't, deal with the equipment and things like that so there's just a lot of uh, i mean i would say people are just like oh well women just don't get those roles it's like yeah because i would say from everything that i know from the conversations i've had with people the the cinematography department sounds like the most you know sexist one on a film set in well, many many ways it's those technical aspects of mm-hmm. cinema right that that are so often and, and you know and again i think that this goes back to a lot of those cultural biases that we were talking about um that there's an assumption that women are not as good at the technical things women are not as good at you know leading the way on 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 certain types of artistry Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is that bias, there is that kind of closing off of things. That, and I think that there are probably a lot of women who don't even really know that it's available to them, that it's a, a it's a career path. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, to, to that, oh, can you handle that big camera? I watched a documentary at Tribeca that was about, um, I, I wrote a review of it, actually, it was about female uh, um, camera, camera women. Uh, 
in war zones who like went to, you know, war zones and humanitarian crises and all this stuff. And they would get that. So this was like in the seventies and eighties too, but they would get that sort of shit from the men who were just like, Oh, can you handle that big camera? It's just like, yeah, I've been fucking lugging it mm-hmm. all the way through this gut, this war zone that we're in the middle of. <laughs> yes. I can handle the camera. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it is that like that bias that women are not equipped at some level for that kind of work, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's obviously changing, but it's still, you know, very much the, this whole thing about being closed out of unions, of not getting even to participate in the career paths. And if you can't get into, you know, if you have to go through a certain process to get into the union, then you have to go through, um, you have to go through a very male dominated process, that sort of things like, oh, you don't actually want to do this. You know, you want to, you know, you want to be a makeup artist, really, right? You know, no, I want to be a photographer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, for some fun, you should check out Rachel Morrison's Instagram account. Um, like, I remember a couple years ago, she was, she was like eight months pregnant and showing pictures of like carrying the giant camera and stuff. It's like, women are badasses. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So that's cinematography, um, which I'm going to just cry really hard if Ari doesn't win because oh, I love her and I love her work Power of the Dog is just such a beautiful film so um, but yeah so moving on to other categories so we have an interesting thing with um, the music specifically I looked at original score I did not look at song because there's a lot of um, a lot of women who have uh, written and and performed oscar nominated songs um like diane warren who is a 13 time academy award nominee still is not one um but a delightful human being um so the the original score category has gone through a lot of iterations they used to have a category that was original song score which basically was kind of a combination of song and score (laughs) um and so you had in the 70s, you have um, a husband and wife team who win or no, they get nominated. But um, yeah, it's it's really interesting because the first time a female composer is nominated in this category is 1945. Co-nominee, that's Anne Ronell. She's co-nominated with Lewis Applebaum. They don't win. The next time a woman is anywhere near, and and again, like like we had mentioned, we like being corrected if we're factually wrong about this. I tried my best to make sure that this was absolutely accurate, but I, you know, it's very possible that I missed someone. Um, but uh, yeah, so it takes until the seventies before it happens again. The first time a woman wins an Oscar is nineteen eighty three, Yentl where you have Marilyn Bergman joined by Michelle Legrand and Alan Bergman. And this is where the, um, the categories went through some, had gone through some changes. So you have, um, you have an adaptation score, which I think they should bring back because I think there are some really great, (laughs) um, really great scores that are adapted. Anyway, uh, neither here nor there. Um, so she's part of that team and they win. So that's the first time a woman won an Oscar for music, um, at least for the original score or adapted score categories. The next time is Emma, which is written by Rachel Portman. That is when there was the, they had two categories. They had dramatic score and then they had musical or comedy score. And so Rachel Portman won that. She incidentally is the, uh, only woman nominated more than once and um, she has been nominated three times and then Anne Dudley won the next year for the full Monty and until oops I forgot to mark that until Hildor won for Joker um, had been the last woman to win for original score Hildor Goodnadotter is the first woman to win the award as it currently stands as best original score because you had Rachel Portman two more times in 99 Mm -hmm. and 2000. So from 2000 to 2019, no female composer had even been nominated. That's, I think all of these categories are just going to like, meh, that's stupid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And it's not that they don't exist. I mean, Rachel mm-hmm. Portman's still writing music, you know? And, yeah. And uh, there are other women that are doing it, too. Um, one of my favorites is Catherine Bostic. She is just awesome. I love her. She's great to talk to. I've interviewed her a couple of times. Um, she's done work in TV. She's done film. She just is an amazing human being. And so it's like, they're out there. It's, it's, they're, part of it is a lack of imagination on the part of the Academy. And part of it is just that these amazing women are not being given the higher profile opportunities. You know, Catherine Bostick's never going to be approached by Denis Villeneuve to score Dune 2, even though she would kick ass at that. (laughs) You know what I mean? So they just keep going to the same people over and over. Yeah. Which is why you have people like, I mean, I love John Williams, but if you look at his list of of Oscar nominations, some of them is like, really? He got nominated for that? So. Oh, God. So what are, what are like some categories where women actually do fare well? Are there any? <laughs> Uh, writing and editing, actually. Uh-huh. Um, we talked a little bit already about editing because of Thelma. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting because I went back and looked. So the film editing category was first introduced in 1934 at the, what would that be, like 6th or 7th Oscars. And for the first few years, there were basically women nominated pretty much every year. Barbara McLean, <laughs> she's one who keeps coming up. Um, she gets nominated in 1935 for Les Miserables, uh, 1936 for Lloyds of London, 1938 for Alexander's Ragtime Band. I don't know what that is, but that sounds fun. Um, and again, in 1939 for The Rains Came, she finally wins in 1944 for the film Wilson, which I also am not sure what that is. But, um, but in the meantime, but when she wins, she becomes the second woman to win. The first was in 1940. And Bochins. Um, she won and she was another one that uh, she was actually the first woman to be nominated uh, in 1934 and then she becomes the first woman to win in 1940 and um, and it's it's so interesting when you look at at a category like editing because in the first you know in the first um, few years like in the 30s you have women like i said pretty much every year from the time it's it's started then in the 40s it really dies out then it comes back in the 50s you get more women getting in there again um and then for a while it's looking pretty good you have women winning you have um gigi in 1958 was uh edited by adrian uh fazan 1962, Lawrence of Arabia, Anne Coates. That's her first nomination and her first win. Um, and then in 1969, you have Z, the winner uh, there. Francoise Bonneau, uh, Verna Fields edited Jaws in 1975. Um, you have Star Wars wins in 1977, and that is co-edited by George Lucas's wife who actually worked with them a lot until they were divorced. Um, probably even a little bit after that, too. Um, Thelma gets her first nomination for Woodstock in 1970 and her first win in 1980 for Raging Bull. Um, so you have, like, signs of, okay, this is good. Women are doing much better uh, in the editing category. And then it's interesting because throughout the... 80s and 90s, you frequently have women. Sometimes you have multiple women getting nominated. Um, And then it just sort of dies off where they're still getting nominated, but they're not winning. Um, And incidentally, do you know who the only female director is to be nominated for editing her film? Chloe Zhao. That is correct. (laughs) I just noticed that. I just noticed that as I was as I was scrolling through. I was just like, "Oh, she edited it too. That's amazing!" Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. She was she was nominated for three Oscars herself. Wait, four? Because she was nominated for picture because she was a producer on that and director and writing and editing. So That's anyway, really amazing. Yeah. So in editing, women have done okay. Um, obviously there's still room for improvement there. And it's so interesting when you look back at, at 
the list of nominees or just in general looking at lists of of movies and who edited them it's interesting how often women did that you know and and we don't ever talk about that like yeah I mean, it was just a couple of years ago that i realized lawrence of arabia was edited by um by a woman you know and looking at mm -hmm. like i had mentioned at the top of this spielberg you know i mean jaws is edited by verna fields et is edited by carol littleton um also written by a woman too um you know it's it's just it's interesting because it's like it's one of those things where we don't talk enough about editors and yeah sorry go ahead well and i was because we don't talk enough about editors we don't talk enough about writers and that does tend to be where women thrive more in ju not just in terms of, of nominations for for uh, for academy awards but just Gen generally yeah getting yeah. opportunities like it's and and i th and some of this is definitely because there's there is still that cult of the director um which you know we are we are very much still within right mm -hmm. um so we tend to credit the director as the one who did everything the one who edited it the one who wrote it you know etc so that the vision of the film is still credited to the director oftentimes right but you know you, you're you're kind of like and i think that scorsese would probably be one of the first people to say this like his films would not like look like his films without thelma exactly um and and i think that she's definitely in terms of editors her and probably um uh and envy coates uh although to a lesser extent have been some of the most high profile female mm -hmm. editors that people have actually referred to and Thelma in, in particular, and it's because of her relationship with Scorsese. Yeah. Um, because, and, and also, you know, and, and I give him credit as well, that he's, he's given her a lot of credit as, mm -hmm. as the, you know, a major force behind a lot of his work. So we tend to pay more attention to those films. Um, but overall, yeah, we still have this attitude of like, it's the director who does it, right? So, well, but so the the director didn't cut his his own film, did he? Um, yeah, exactly. An editor did that. So who is the editor on this? And then even going through, you're like, oh look, woman, 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 woman. <laughs> look at all of the women who are not getting any real credit publicly, at least. Yeah. Um, for for the work that they do, and then it you get the same thing with writers. Yes. Yeah, and for similar reasons. Um, yeah. That it's just this, it's this weird, like, I remember a few years ago when they were talking about a movie that was probably Batgirl, like, around the time that Joss Whedon was quitting, I think, for walking away from that yes. project because he couldn't figure yeah. out a story for Batgirl, a comic that's been <laughs> around for 70 years. And, um... And so, and so people were talking about like, oh, who should direct the movie? And I saw one writer who was just like, um, we should probably talk about who's going to write the script first instead of just jumping right to who should direct it. Because who's going to be the right director is going to depend entirely on that script and how the tone looks and how, you know, it's like, yeah, why don't we, <laughs> like, why don't we talk about that? You know, we... We really do have this tendency just to look at um, the director, and and it is it's very much the cult of the director. So yeah. Um, but let's talk a little bit about writing because this is where women have fared the best uh, outside of the categories that we've already talked about, and certain categories like you know actress where men can't play, um, <laughs> which we'll talk about that because we got a good question on that. But um, but yeah, it's interesting because so. In all, there have been 142 women that have either written or co-written a screenplay that was nominated for an Oscar. And um, and uh, the number of wins is not uh, great <laughs> by comparison, but um, we have a lot of women getting nominated. And I actually went through, I don't know if you looked at the list that I made, but um, I actually went through and totaled up how many nominees there were in any given Oscar year. And um, so the most women that were ever nominated in a single year for writing was five. That was 1991. And um, 
But, but to, to be fair, there were a number who were like four nominations. Oh yeah, in yeah. A given yeah. year, and that and that like goes back all the way to the 1950s. Yeah, I was actually gonna talk about that next, but um, okay, but yeah. sorry, so sorry for stepping on you. <laughs> no, it's okay. But 1991 was the uh, the most uh, most screenplays nominated that were written or co-written by women. So you had Europa Europa from Agnieszka Holland. You had Fried Green Tomatoes, which was um, by Fanny Flagg and Carol Sobieski based on Fanny Flagg's book. Um, You had The Prince of Tides, co-written by Pat Conroy and Becky Johnston. You had Grand Canyon from Lawrence Kasdan and his daughter Meg. And um, Thelma and Louise by Callie Corey. And um, it's like, man, what a great year. And so it's interesting because if you look at after that, the next year, it's one, you know. And we have a couple of times where we'll hit four and then after that, it's like one or maybe two. It's just kind of like funny how it how it goes cyclically like that. But um, if we go back to the beginning, so this is a category that was introduced when the Oscars began. The first woman nominated for writing was Bess Meredith and Josephine Lovett, both two separate uh, films. And it's weird because it's not an official nomination at this point. They, what the Academy did was they went through and looked at the archives. They pulled all kinds of um, meeting minutes and, and things like that and looked at, at all sorts of documentation of the films that were being considered for Oscars, and that's how they were able to compile this. So two of the scripts that were being considered were Our Dancing Daughters by Josephine Lovett, and then actually it was a Best Meredith had written two, A Woman of Affairs and Wonder of Women, two separate films, and she was being considered for both of them. Neither of them won, um, but you know, right from the beginning, women are are being are strong contenders in this category, and then you have Frances Marion winning um not quite back to back but almost in um 192930 with the big house and then 3132 with the champ um and uh yeah so that's she's the first woman to win and she's the first person to win twice um and then what's interesting to me is how many of these nominations are um writing teams and how many of them are women getting nominated with their husbands. So it's a lot of, yeah. of writing partners, but also if you just look through, I didn't, um, I didn't note it on the list, but there's a lot where, um, husbands and wives are writing together and getting nominated together. Yeah. And that seems to be pretty typical, uh, especially of the studio era. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you kind of see that a lot where you've got, and in fact, you begin to get, you know, male and female teams, even people that aren't married, um, that work together pretty consistently. And so, so some, some of that is also just, again, you're, you're getting into the culture of Hollywood, mm-hmm. um, and how the culture of Hollywood changes. I was interested just, just scanning through this again, I was like, oh, women got nominated pretty pretty continuously all the way through the 1940s like pretty much every single year yeah have at least one if not multiple women getting nominated for um for screenplay uh picture story etc and then he hit the 50s and there are bigger and bigger gaps Mm -hmm. and you get into the 60s and there are even bigger gaps yeah and so it's interesting because we tend to think about um you know, the Hollywood of, of the, the 1930s and 40s as being incredibly, you know, stultifying for women. And it was in a certain sense. But in another sense, obviously, women were not only getting work as writers, they were getting nominated as writers. Yeah. So if you've got that many women getting nominations for screenplays, you've got many dozens of others who are not getting nominated, but are doing that work. Exactly, which is why it pissed me off so bad when I was having a conversation with someone about Mank and how easy it could have been to just have women in the writer's room too. And someone tried to tell me like, well, but then you would have had to explain why they're there. I'm like, anybody who can open up the Oscars.org website can see why they were there. Yeah, you don't they, need to explain anything. They were all over the place. 
I mean, you even you can look at a film like uh, Sunset Boulevard, which represents mm-hmm. a female writer in Hollywood. Like it was just like this is one of the things that women did. Sure. Um, there, I'm trying to remember. There's a, I think it's a film called Autumn Leaves with Joan Crawford that was like it's like 1950s, 1950s or maybe early 60s. But it, she is a screenwriter. Like that's her role. She writes screenplays, mm-hmm. and the entire. Like there's a whole part of her plot and there, there's all this conversation about the fact that she's not married, you know, all of this stuff, but that's her job, right? So the films of that period were openly acknowledging the fact that women were writing them. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. and, and, then, and then you get into this and, and we talked about this when we talked about Meg, but yeah, you get into this whole thing. It's just like, well, women just weren't involved. It's just like, no, they were, they weren't. You're literally erasing them. You're rewriting the actual history. So, you know, represent the reality of the history but don't decide that like oh women weren't there except to be topless exactly um it, it's just yeah it's offensive anyways <laughs> yeah no 100 percent. so but yeah so it definitely ticks down um in the 60s and 70s and and 80s it starts to come back up in the 80s and that's when you hit the the high point uh in 1991 um with five but then from then on it's pretty rare to skip a year. Like in 96, there weren't any. In 99, there weren't any. Um, but from then on, pretty much at least every year, there's there's at least one. Often, often more than one. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, we have three. Last year, we had three. Uh, I'm still sad because this year, oh man, we could have had an entire adapted screenplay lineup with all screenplays written by women it like and this isn't just like oh it was possible these are like scripts that were all being considered and a couple ended up you know missing out because then we have dune and west side story in there but um but it's like oh man we were so close it's never happened we were so close (laughs) uh well so it, it seemed it seems like women definitely have fared better in kind of a lot of the below the line things especially writing and and as you say editing Mm-hmm. Um, cinematography makes me mad, but doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Which, by the way, just a side note on going back to cinematography really quickly. I had mentioned, you know, well, the first woman wasn't inducted into ASC until 1980. But also, Rachel Morrison was the first woman nominated for, like, their top prize in 2017. So, it's like, yeah. And then that translated to an Oscar nomination. So, it's, yeah. It's not surprising. It's just disappointing. Yeah. Well, so let's let's move on to categories that, as we say, men cannot compete in. <laughs> um, exactly. Uh, the the categories of best actress and best supporting actress, and I did not do this. I did not do like a comprehensive spreadsheet um, <laughs> a, as you did, but I did go through um, the the nominees and the winners, especially for um, for best actress, kind of across the board. And a lot of it isn't terribly surprising. I just wanted to talk about like general trends uh, when it comes to these things. And a lot of it isn't terribly surprising in terms of, you know, you don't actually get um, a a black woman (laughs) winning until 2000 and what was it? 2001. Yeah. Um, 2001 where Halle Berry won for Monsters Ball. And uh and, you know, we kind of, we knew that already, um, but it's still, it's still kind of horrifying. At the same time, you know, you do sort of note the fact that when it comes to the best actress throughout the, the, the 30s, 40s, 50s, you're not going to get many black women being cast in lead roles to begin with. Right. Um, although we do get, uh, I believe Dorothy Dandridge was nominated for Carmen Jones. And so you do get you do get a few black women kind of showing up in various categories, but they're not winning. Um, but one of the things that that's just noticing, one of the things I actually expected in, in going into this and beginning to look at things, I was like, oh, it's going to turn out that, you know, there a lot of women are winning for being mothers or, you know, female, th- these kind of female tropes for women's films, things like that. What actually happened was like going through it, I was like, there's a lot particularly in the early periods, there's a lot of, of what we would usually refer to as strong female characters, right? You've got um, people like Joan Crawford being nominated for Mildred Pierce, Ingrid Bergman for Gaslight, um, Greer Garson, uh, who's 
<laughs> basically the uh, the Meryl Streep of the 1940s. She was like, she was nominated five years running for Best Actress. Yep. Um, and so for that matter was Betty Davis, uh, as well as like Joan Fontaine and Olivia de Havilland show up all the time. But by the time you get to the 40s, you're just almost constantly, like, it's, it's like Betty Davis, Joan Fontaine, Greer Garson, Olivia de Havilland, Joan Fontaine, Betty Davis, Greer Garson, Barbara Stanwyck, Greer Garson, Betty Davis. Um, it's like the same six or seven actresses that are getting nominated pretty consistently across the board. But uh, at a positive level, one of the things that I, I was surprised by, like I say, is that you're actually getting a lot of celebration of uh, actresses for playing pretty strong roles, right? So in um, just, just as an example, in 1940, right, Ginger Rogers wins for Kitty Foyle. Um, the other nominees that year, Joan Fontaine in Rebecca, Betty Davis in The Letter, Catherine Hepburn in The Philadelphia Story, and um, Martha Scott in Our Town. All of those are very strong female roles. These are not, you know, particularly pushover women. These are not, um, not really mothers or, you know, perfect examples of femininity or anything like that. These are tough ladies, basically. Uh, and... And I found that very encouraging in meaning to go through some of these where it's like, oh, actually, these women are getting nominated for things that are um, that are, you know, non-traditional female roles. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that's that's really positive when you begin to look at the this issue of race. Unsurprisingly, it's incredibly problematic, especially when you note that Louise Rayner won for playing uh, a Chinese peasant in 1937 for The Good Earth. Louise Rayner is a German-American actress. Mm -hmm. She is not Chinese at, in, in any sense. Um, and so you have that, that kind of opposite balance where this is primarily white women. It is primarily um, white women playing very strong female roles, but are, you know, are even getting awards for playing non-white women, but women of color are not are not getting in any nominations at all um so did you have any thoughts about this in terms of i don't know if you had time to go through some of these uh wins if there's anything that stood out to you um well one thing that this was just a fun like little side note thing this isn't really um important but it was just a little fun fact that i found was if you look at 1934 betty davis was a write-in candidate for Best Actress that year. Um, and which I don't know if the rules even allow that anymore now. I don't even know if there's a process for it, but they used to allow write-ins. And so Betty Davis is a write-in and ends up coming in third, which means poor Grace Moore from One Night of Love would probably not have gotten nominated if Betty Davis had gotten in. And, um, cause she's the only one that wasn't ranked. So, um, we know Claudette Colbert won that year for it happened one night and then Norma Shearer came in second. And so Grace Moore, this was her only Oscar nomination and it probably wouldn't have happened if folks had gotten their way and gotten Betty Davis nominated instead. <laughs> that's, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, the, the other thing that struck me is that, and I think that this is the only time that this happened in 1968 when Catherine Hepburn and Barbara Streisand tied. Mm -hmm. um, for Catherine Hepburn for The Lion in Winter and Barbara Streisand for Funny Girl. Yeah. And so they, they both received an Oscar, <laughs> mm -hmm. which I think is great. And also just like, wow, that's a, that's a tag team right there. That's, that's Catherine Hepburn and Barbara Streisand. And the other nominees that year, Patricia Neal, Vanessa Redgrave, and Joanne Woodward. Right. That's like... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like one of the things that I did like about going through these lists, I, I was like, man, we've got some good actresses. It's one of those things where when you look at any given year, well, not any given year, but a lot of years and you go like, man, how did this person not win for this movie? And then you look at who they were nominated against. You're like, oh, oh, yeah. OK, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's just, always really exciting. Like Cicely um, Tyson, she gets nominated mm -hmm. in 1972 for Sounder loses to Liza Minnelli in Cabaret. It's like, ah, that sucks, but I kind of see how that happened, <laughs> you know? Well, that's the problem. I mean, even going through these lists, right, you you see very few women of color getting yeah. nominated at all. 
Um, and, and as we know, up until Halle Berry, all of them are losing who, who do get nominated. Um, they fare much better in the Best Supporting Actress category, which again, isn't surprising, especially for the kind of the, that period of the 1930s through the 50s uh, and into the 60s, mm-hmm. because you do have more women of color who are playing secondary roles right, who are character actresses, but are still getting um, nominated and still getting awarded. Of course, the first black woman twin um, Best Supporting Actress was Hattie McDaniel for, uh, for Gone with the Wind. And we've, talk- we've talked about that issue. Um, Which, but- by the way, um, at the time, they did not award a normal statuette to the supporting actors. They got a plaque and hers is lost. So at the Academy Museum, if you go... Um, they actually have this really cool room. It's like they have a bunch of Oscars on display and they'll switch them out because some of them are just on loan from, you know, the winners. But um, but they have a lot of different categories and you can see kind of the, the history, like the way that the Oscars have changed over the years. And they have Hattie Mc, they have a spot for Hattie McDaniel, but it's empty because nobody knows where her award is. That's so sad. Yeah. But part of the reason why they don't know is probably because they're looking for the wrong thing. They don't know what they're actually looking for. It's probably Mm -hmm. sitting on a shelf somewhere on display and nobody realizes it's an Academy Award. Amazing. That's sad, but that's, that's like, yeah. Well, and, and so you do, you do get a lot more um, women of color generally, like across board and not, not just talking about black women, but also Asian American actresses, um, uh, Latina actresses, et cetera, getting yeah, both Rita nominated. Moreno. Yeah, Rita Moreno um, in in 1961. He also had Miyoshi Umeki for Sayonara in 1957. Um, who's a, she's a Japanese-American actress. And and you just see, again, throughout the, the entire history of the Best Supporting Actress category, you see a lot, a, a lot greater diversity, um, many more character actresses. Obviously. And again, this makes sense because you're talking about secondary characters. You're talking about supporting figures, right? Um, You've also got people like uh, Juanita Moore, who was nominated but didn't win in 1959 for Imitation of Life. Um, So there there is this greater degree of diversity, not not just of, of race and of character, but also of like body type and the type of character that is being played. Yeah, well, it's... For lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah. For lack of a better word, it feels like the supporting actress category is where people are willing to um, be a little bit more creative and and in terms of who they're who they're willing to consider, Um, because then you get you get some just crazy nominations like Melissa McCarthy for Bridesmaids, you know. Or um, where it's just it seems like people are more open to being um, more fun and more um, outside the the typical, you know, what we think of in terms of Oscar performances. Um, you get that more in the supporting categories. There's like this weird yeah. mental block of what a best actress looks like compared to what a best supporting actress looks like. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I was just thinking about the number of older women, especially who get nominated. So people like Ruth Gordon for uh, Rosemary's Baby, yeah. who and Ruth Gordon had been a, an actress and a writer and like a, a presence for a very long time, but she'd never you know, really gotten the same degree of attention. Um, you know, and and it's it's interesting to see that. And so you do get this much more diversity, but like you're saying that that it seems like people are more willing to award comedic performances, to award um, non those non traditional roles. And and actually, I think that some of this is just the way that the Oscars developed over the course of the of its history. Because originally, like if you look, you know, and even some of the things we're talking about, you're like, well, the 29, 30, 31 ones are really weird because they're they're chaotic they're like we don't know what we're awarding things for we like this person you know <laughs> yeah. um they did a really good job ah that's a that was a cool film let's award that right and and then it becomes more staid and it kind of becomes more predictable and, and and becomes more of a um kind of a capper for the year in cinema right uh, and, and as that happens you get fewer and fewer people uh, women being nominated for comedic roles 
um, being nominated, you know, for multiple roles, even I think the, the first best, best actress actually won for three different films. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that begins changing. And so you do have this like slide into the supporting actress categories where more, more honestly, more interesting women are getting awards and getting nominated. Yeah. So we did have a question actually about this. Uh, um, from Estefania talking about this this issue of the fact that, you know, like we're saying in the best actress and supporting actress categories, men aren't competing, right? So we can't really compare them, although we can talk about, you know, who won for best actor, best supporting actor in that year. Um, but from Estefania's uh, question was, this year the Berlinale uh, stopped separating the categories by gender and only gave best main and supporting performer awards. Do you think this is a good idea and would you like to see it at the Oscars? I am of two minds. Karen, I'm going to let you answer first. <laughs> um, I would not like them ever to combine the categories. So I I think that we are getting into a time where it's um, it's a little trickier now that the industry is more open to... Um, to trans actors, to non-binary actors, um, it does become a little trickier, like, kind of forcing people to choose a category to compete in um, and finding acceptance with whatever choice they make. But um, but part of the problem is if you combine the categories, even if you still had 10 nominees, you're going to very much more often than not, you're going to have those categories dominated by male actors um you know like i just i look at the list of nominees this year and i just think if you know just looking at the the whole conversation that people had and the um the actors that were being talked about for best actor and then the actresses who made it into best actress i just think if there was a lineup where it was a gender neutral category, there's no way Jessica Chastain would have made that. There's no way Nicole Kidman would have made that. Maybe Nicole Kidman shouldn't be in there. I don't know. But um, it wouldn't have created opportunities for more women and certainly not for more women of color, which still got shut out of that lineup, you know. But I just, I think that a gender neutral category is not is not the way to go. It's not gonna help because the types of roles that men and women are offered are so vastly different that um, they really, it's difficult to to even try to have them compete against each other. Yeah, I, I that's that's definitely the one mind that I have. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and, and I think that's a very good point to say, like, you know, you, you, we're, we're talking about the fact that, you know, only one black woman has won Best Actress um, over the course of 94 years. And, and that woman was in the 2000s, right? Um, and, and the fact that, that, you know, making that into, you know, Best Performer categories would definitely even lower the chances of, of non-white women getting nominated or getting awards for um, for their performances. At the same time, there is a part of me that just really wants to see the chaos. Uh, and this, this is not, this is just like, yes, please destroy each other. Um, because I really want to see male actors have to deal with being in the same category as women um, and with having to compete with women and even to lose to women. And we may not be at that point yet, because like I say, I think that it would actually be more detrimental to the women than it would be to the men. But there, there is still this split where we still almost treat the best actor categories as better in some way, um, as more important. And, uh, and I would really like to actually see those performances being compared to each other, you know, seeing some of these men have to go up against people like Meryl Streep. Um, and, and again, I don't necessarily think that that would, uh, you know, really be beneficial at the end of the day, but I would be really interested to see the kind of in- industry reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is still this attitude of like, you know, women are, there is still the attitude that women are lesser, right? That women don't have to work as hard. 
that women are not as dedicated to their craft, all of those things. And that's still like, it permeates everything that we're talking about. Um, and sort of forcing the men to compete with women and to lose to women, I would really like to see to, to a certain degree. But on the other side, I definitely, I agree with you ultimately. Yeah, part of the part of the reason I think that um, the actors are considered, um, for lack of a better word, uh, more important, is because when we look at the state of the actor race and the actress race and the best picture lineup, um, the crossover of actresses in leading roles in best picture nominees is far, far lower than actors. Does that make sense? Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. But I, I also feel like the um, the actresses are actually better. Oh, for sure. Like, at, at the end of the day, the women who are being nominated for, you know, so just, just in comparison, and maybe not necessarily this year, but just overall, mm -hmm. that often the actresses who are getting awarded or are getting nominated are actually giving better performances. And there have been some years where I've just been like, the, the best actor category is really fucking weak. Like, yeah. it's, it's just like, ah, yes, five, five white men that I barely remember. Um, totally. Totally. But what I'm saying is I think the perception exists because look at, um, I actually don't have this year in front of me. I should, but, um, look at last year you had two women nominated, um, in for performances that appeared in best picture nominees. Of course, Frances McDormand wins. And then also Nomadland wins. Frances McDormand becomes the first woman to produce, her own best picture winner and own best performance at the, in the same year. Anyway, um, but if you look at the actor category, you've got four out of five appearing in best picture nominated films. And it's typically like that, you know, like there are frequently, in fact, this year, I think none of the best actresses are in best picture nominees whereas the men are. So it's, I mean, I don't think that it is a sign that women's roles are less important, but I think that that shows where the industry still leans and mm -hmm. why the industry still leans toward the men is because they're, those are also the stories that they're more likely to, um, to pick for the best films of the year. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I could definitely see that. Also, a lot of the time, best actresses are actually sharing at some level um, screen time, parts, et cetera, with best actors. Oh, yeah. Um, so you you often get, you know, people being nominated for the same film. Uh, Frances McDermott is, because she was the central character of Nomadland, there really wasn't anyone else kind of standing next to her in terms of screen time. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's you interesting. you get that with best actress winners frequently, but usually mm -hmm. their films are not nominated for best picture. Mm -hmm. So, like, you had Renee Zellweger for Judy the year before. You had um, Olivia Coleman for The Favorite. That was nominated. And that was a female-dominated film, um, which is a rare exception. Um, you have Frances McDormand again for Three Billboards, but she's sharing a lot of screen time with uh, the two men that are nominated for Supporting Actor that year. So, yeah, it's... Um, Emma Stone in La La Land, she's, you know, sharing the screen with co-nominee Ryan Gosling. So, yeah, it's it's very rare for women to be fully the lead and for it to be the lead of a female story when they're in the Best Actress lineup, especially when they win. But it's starting to get better. It is. It does seem to be improving, at least. Yeah. Um, and so finally, we have one more question from Noah. Uh, who asks, why hasn't Octavia Spencer won all the Oscars? <laughs> Don't know. Justice for Ma, man. Yeah, really. Like, I, I honestly, she's been in so many different films. And sometimes I'm like, I don't, I'm trying to figure out how she makes the choices that she does, honestly. <laughs> um, but I always enjoy her. I really do. Like, mm -hmm. every, every time, even in, you know, something like Ma, which is just so over the top. <laughs> um, but I, I very much enjoy it. Just like, yeah, you, 
you torture those like those asshole white kids who are like <laughs> you oh, run over Missy Pyle with a car. That's fine. You do that, yeah. <laughs> it was very satisfying, definitely. Um yeah. anyway, yeah, I it's a great question, Noah. Why don't you ask the Academy? Because they have some explaining to do. They really do. <laughs> Uh, well, I, do, do you have any final thoughts about the, about any of these categories that we've talked about, Karen, anything that you would like to see happen in these categories other I, than, you know, more women nominees? Well, I was going to say, I would love to see, uh, Ari Wagner win and mm -hmm. let's just finally help the cinematographers branch get over that hurdle because it's such a, uh, at this point, it's the only current category that currently exists where no woman has ever won and that is pathetic and that needs to change and this is a great year to do it because Ari's work is just incredible but aside from that uh, I would like to see consistently women getting opportunities and getting recognized for their work in cinematography and yeah. composing um, in the visual effects and sound categories which like I said we didn't get into but um, and I also have a dream that one day we will have a category that is not a gender specific category that has all female nominees. It'll happen. Someday. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. So and then, and then the metal, <laughs> and then the metal be like, no, there's been too many female nominees. <laughs> like we're getting frozen out. We're being discriminated against. Just like, oh my God. <laughs> So, side note, I was watching this movie Windfall, which is new on Netflix um, this weekend, and um, Jesse Plemons is in it, and he plays this, like, tech billionaire, and he has a line in the movie where he actually says to someone, <laughs> do you know how hard it is to be a rich white man in this country these days? And I was just like, yes, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> so many of them, so many of them don't get that. Don't get yeah. that irony because you're, because it's just like ah, oh, yeah, you know. I mean, I was, I was, I saw a thing the other day about, um, about like Encanto and uh, and Turning Red, and it was about the lack of Disney of like bad, re real, you know, proper Disney villains. And I was just like, it's been literally like there are maybe three films that that fits, maybe, uh -huh. and two of them came out this year. <laughs> are you joking are you yeah. joking just like this is a really disturbing trend it's just like oh my fucking god mm. are you kidding me are you kidding me with this all, all of the shit that has gone on around turning red where you're just like well i don't feel comfortable talking about girls adolescents do you know how many films i have seen that deal with little boys learning to be men the coming of age story it's exhausting <laughs> you that's fucking exhausting Exactly. Just like, oh, but one girl turns into a giant red panda, and that's just a bridge too far for you. She's so fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> I I did like people have repeated the the one of the gifts where where she's twerking in front of her mother <laughs> to make her mad, and I'm just like, I don't know why this is so funny, but this like little red panda just like, yeah, mom, yeah, just like, no, stop it, stop it, don't do this. <laughs> Just say, oh yeah, I like that. I like that. <laughs> well, I love how people are using that as an example of what a corrupt and terrible movie it is. It's like, <laughs> there's a teenage girl twerking. It's like, no, there's a giant red panda twerking in front of a gianter red panda. The red panda? Like, I'm sorry. I don't know how you can watch that and be like, oh, this is offensive. This right. is, no, it's really not. <laughs> it's really not offensive to, to watch a red, a animated red panda twerking. That's just exactly. not, I don't know what weird relationship you have with red pandas, but keep it out. Like, <laughs> yep. Anyways, anyways, yes. I, again, watch Turning Red, everybody. It is so much fun. Um, well, I think that that is going to close us out for this week. Uh, I yes, definitely more female nominees in in all categories, and definitely to stop nominating nothing but white women um, in the best actress, especially the best actress category. It's again, I, it's getting a little tiring to see nothing but white ladies. Yeah. Um, 
as much as I love some of those actresses, I'm just like, you know what? I'm, I'm bored with whiteness. The sheer number of white people is just exhausting. Yep, exactly. Um, so as always, we want to thank you all for listening. And we especially want to thank our patrons who include Adriana, Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather. Yes, Heather, I remembered your name. Uh, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. Thank you so much for supporting us and continuing to support us. Um, if you want to join their ranks, uh, we our Patreon is patreon.com slash citizen dame. We are going to have a bonus episode coming up, and we've also got the welcome things uh, going to go out fairly soon. You can also contribute to buy, buy our stuff by um, and contribute to us by spending money on our Zazzle store at zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod. We do have our Ko-Fi for those of you. Have, we have, I've had a couple of questions about people wanting to contribute but not wanting to subscribe to the Patreon. Uh, our Ko-Fi right now is ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. Dame, and also hopefully we will have a few other things um, that we're going to get set up for, for people that want to do that. You can also visit our website. Our website is citizendamepod.com where we have reviews, Blu-ray reviews, recent reviews, essays. Uh, we're also going to have some new stuff coming out on the Patreon. Um, they will be Patreon exclusive, so, so watch for that. Um, you can get in touch with us a multitude of ways. We have our email, that's citizendamepod at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at citizendamepod and letterboxed at citizendame. And of course, you can get in touch with us individually. I am on Twitter, Instagram, and letterboxed at LHBusiness. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and letterboxed at Karen M. Peterson. And that will close us out for this week. We will talk to you guys later. Bye. This moment is so much bigger than me. This moment is for Dorothy Dandridge, Lena Horne, Diane Carroll. It's for the women that stand beside me, Jada Pinkett, Angela Bassett. Vivica Fox, and it's for every nameless, faceless woman of color that now has a chance because his door tonight has been opened. (laughs) 